relationship is, is alive. He's alive. So, Easter, we give our attention to this great truth. Christ is raised. And so it is my privilege to be here to share with you about the significance of Easter. And so if you look at the bulletin, you can see an outline that might be helpful to you. So we will consider the significance of Easter under three headings. The reality, the facts, and lastly, the victory. So the reality. The reality. The, the significance of Easter can only really be grasped when we remind ourselves of the reality. The reality which most, if not all of us, would rather not think about. It is the reality of death. Now, of course, we are surrounded by various reminders of the reality of death and the missing Malaysians airline flight MH370 and, and more recently the South Korea ferry disaster. I mean, these things happening make it difficult for us to be completely isolated and insulated from the reality of death. But what many of us try to do is to avoid thinking about the reality of our own, our own, my impending death. We try to keep death at arm's length. So death is something that's happening out there. It's happening to other people. But we, I avoid making eye contact with the reality of my own impending death. Now, Charles Spurgeon said, We admit we shall all die, but not so soon as to make it a pressing matter. We imagine that we are not within measurable distance of the grave. But death will not spare us simply because we avoid thinking about it. Now at this point, there may be some of you, maybe more than a few of you who are thinking to yourselves, why is this guy going on and on about death? Didn't he use the word celebration in his introduction to this sermon? I am here to listen to good news. Can somebody please remind him it's Easter? Yes. Yes, it is Easter. And yes, you will hear good news. The best news ever. In fact, no better news exists. But in order for anyone to to grasp why Easter is such good news. We must come face to face with the reality of death. We must come face to face, not just with the reality of death, we must come face to face with the reality of our own impending death. And still, we cannot stop there. We must, we must, if we want to, understand why Easter is such good news. We must also consider what the Bible has to say about death. Because according to God in the Bible, death is not just you know natural process of decay. Death is no accident. It is not just something that happens. 
And so, in our passage in verse 56, Paul tells us something very important about death. You should be able to see it up here. So, verse 56 of our passage. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So, let's take it bit by bit. What does he mean that the the sting of death is sin? So, to understand, you must realize that at the beginning... At the beginning, when God created the world, God made a world without sin, without death. So there was a time when death wasn't part of the picture. Death did not happen. God made a world without sin, without death. And God and humanity, the the man and the woman that he made, lived with him in perfect relationship and harmony. But humanity wanted to live without reference to God. Humanity wanted to determine their own future and destiny. Humanity wanted to run life apart from God. And so, humanity rebelled against God. And so, into a world that had no sin, no death, sin entered the picture. And in the entrance of sin came death. Because the consequence of our sin is death. Because death is God's just punishment for our sin. Death is God cutting short, making sure that our our rebellion against Him cannot continue indefinitely. God cutting short our blatant rejection of Him. And so it is that, that connection between sin and death. You know, sin that results in, in this... Uh, death, sorry. Uh, sin that results in death that gives death its sting. Death is terrible. Death is fearsome. Death is to be feared because of sin. Why? Because death is the doorway to an eternal punishment for our sin. Because of our sin, there is a penalty to be paid. Because we have rejected the infinite one. We have sinned against the one who is holy, holy, holy. There is a penalty to be paid. And God's penalty, God's judgment of this rejection of Him is an eternity without Him. And so, death is the doorway to that eternal judgment. Now, furthermore, into this situation, God gives His law. God gives His law. God gives His perfect, holy, and good law. God makes known His law so that humanity might know that for a fact, we have fallen short. God gives His law so that no one can, can, can deceive ourselves by thinking, hey, I, yeah, I think I'm good enough. No one can fall under that delusion if they seriously consider, hey, God's standards... Uh, this high, I, I have fallen short. I cannot consistently and constantly meet his standards. So that's what Paul means when he writes in the second half of verse 56. The power of sin is the law. The law comes and exposes the extent, the depth of our rejection and rebellion against God. 
the law is the mirror showing us this is how sinful you are. And so friends, this is the reality. This is the reality. The gloomy reality of sin, death and judgment. Now, into this reality, into this picture, God has done something. And we will see what it is under the second point. So we've looked at the reality. Now let's consider the facts. Let's consider the facts. Now I call it the facts because I want to get it across to you that these things that we're going to read together are not just things that Christians believe. Oh, if you're a Christian, you just happen to believe these things. No, we believe these things because they are historical facts. It actually happened in history. It happened. So, we read this together in our responsive reading. So let's consider again what Paul says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what are the facts? Christ died. Now, it is a historical reality that the man, Jesus Christ, who in his life and behavior was sinless before God, he died on a Roman cross. He was crucified, handed over by the chief priest, and he was crucified by the governor, Roman governor at that time, Pontius Pilate. All these are historical facts. But what was the meaning behind that fact? Well, Paul tells us, He died not because he was sinful. He died as a substitute for our sins. He died the death we deserved so that those who trust in him need not die. He died for us in our place for our sins. And so the next fact that Paul tells us is that he was buried. Now the point of Paul mentioning this, including this, is because He wants to get across that there is no doubt Jesus actually died. He wasn't, he didn't just lose consciousness. He wasn't just in a state of, you know, uh, temporary coma. He actually died. He was dead. Dead enough to be buried in a tomb. That's where the phrase, you know, dead and buried comes from, I guess. And on that first Easter Sunday, he was raised. He was raised and he appeared to Cephas, he appeared to the twelve, and he appeared to more than 500. Now, why do you think Paul says, you know, these 500 of the brothers and sisters, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep? What What does he say that? Well, because Paul, in writing this letter to the Corinthians, is actually a public document. I mean, it's a document that would be circulated far and wide, Many people would get their hands on it or hear it being read. And so Paul wants to say to the people who are hearing this, Jesus was raised and he appeared. He physically, bodily appeared 
to 500 over witnesses. And so, you can actually check it out. Yes, some have died, because it's been about 20 years after the event, but only 20 years, many of whom are still alive. You can actually go and check it out. That's why Paul is saying, most of whom are still alive. Go, just go and check it out. Talk, talk to people who actually saw him, who actually talked with him, who actually touched him. They, they, they put their fingers where the nails were. They saw, they witnessed, they experienced Jesus back again from the dead. Yes, some people saw him one to one, some met him in little groups. Some of them met him over a 40-day period repeatedly. And some of them, in a, in a big group, as big as 500, saw him. And you see, that's how Christianity spread. Because these people, because they saw him, came to believe the historical fact that Jesus died, but did not remain dead. He was raised. And so they began to tell friends and neighbours about it. Hey, I would not have believed it until I, unless I saw it for myself. And indeed, I saw him. And this is what it means. And so, Christianity grew. I mean, from a, from a small band of Jewish disciples who were fearful for their life because their master was arrested and crucified. It became a force that challenged the Roman Empire. It grew in spite of persecution. The, the early Christians, because, simply because of the fact that they were Christians, experienced intense persecution. They were arrested, they were, they were thrown into the arena, fed to the lions, but they did not give up their faith. And in fact, Christianity grew, the church grew. I mean, why would they continue believing? Why would they hang on to Jesus unless they were convinced it was true? That Jesus had been raised bodily, you know, physically. He was raised. He's alive again. And so because he was raised from the dead, it achieved something. It wasn't just you know, a magic trick. It actually achieved something. What? Did it achieve? It achieved a victory. And so, the third point, the victory. And so we see in verse 54, Paul saying, talking to death, mocking death, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death has been swallowed up in victory. The dark and gloomy reality of death has been defeated. It has been swallowed up in victory. God stands victorious over death. Death lies at God's feet as a defeated foe, defeated forever. And so because death has been defeated, Paul can mock death. Paul can, can challenge death. Instead of, instead of avoiding eye contact with death, Paul can look death in the face and challenge death. Where? Oh, death is your victory. 
Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now remember we, we considered earlier, the sting of death is, is sin. What makes death so terrible is its connection with sin. Because of our rejection of God. Death is the doorway to a just and eternal punishment by God for our sin. But now, but now death has been defeated. The sting of death is gone. Now how can I know this for sure? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Remember the facts. Remember the facts. Jesus died in our place for our sins. And on the third day, he was raised from the dead. This is a fact attested to by 500 over eyewitnesses who, who touched him, who talked with him, who saw him. What does the resurrection of Jesus from the dead show? What does the resurrection of Jesus from the dead mean? The raising of Jesus shows that God is satisfying. That God is satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice for our sin. Jesus, in his death, was publicly condemned. But now, being raised by God, he is publicly affirmed and vindicated. The resurrection is God's decisive demonstration that Christ, that his payment for sin, has been accepted. God is satisfied with the work that Jesus did on the cross. So Jesus did not die in vain. Because of the resurrection, we, we can have the assurance, we can have the guarantee that his sacrifice for our sins on our behalf is sufficient. We can be assured that salvation is secure. We can have the guarantee that our forgiveness of sins has been won. His death achieved its purpose. His death accomplished forgiveness of sin. And His resurrection assures us that our sins indeed, we can have no doubt, we can have the guarantee, the certainty that my sin, my countless blatant sins against God, He does not hold me account to it because I have come to trust in what Christ has accomplished on the cross. But not just me. All who turn from sin, all who turn from sin and put their trust, all who rely on what the death of Jesus has accomplished for them, can, because of the resurrection, have the assurance that their sin has been fully and completely paid for. Death has lost its sting. And so, death, when it happens to the person who trusts in Christ, death now becomes a doorway not to eternal judgment. Because there is no more judgment, because Christ has taken all the judgment for that person who has trusted in Him. And so death is no longer feared. Because death is now a doorway into an eternity with God. To live life with God, with our Maker, with our Creator, the way God designed life to be lived. 
Now, thank you for persevering with me as we considered the significance of Easter. Now, there may be some of you here for whom you would not consider yourself as someone who has crossed that line of trusting, coming to trust Christ in what he has done on the cross for your sin. You do not consider yourself a Christian. And so can I first say that I am glad that you are here. I am thankful that you have taken uh, some of your time to be here with us, celebrating Easter with us. But can I please urge you not to leave here without making some effort to consider the facts. Please, don't go away simply thinking, oh, these things are just what Christians believe. Christians believe these things because they are Christians. You know, Christians believe this, other people believe other things. Christians believe this, I believe other things. No, no. Christians believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus because as far as we can see, as far as we can know, these things happened. These are historical realities. As, no, no one has a time machine, you know, travel back in time to know for sure. But as far as we can see, all the reliable evidence points to the reality that Jesus died and was raised again. And so you must ask yourself, how else, if not for the fact that Jesus bodily raised, how else do you account for the fact of the early Christians continuing in identifying themselves as Christians in spite of severe persecution, even death? I mean, you, you wouldn't die for just a nice idea. I mean, some people say it was something that the disciples came together and, you know, concocted because it was a nice idea, but, but you wouldn't die for something that didn't happen. You wouldn't die for a hoax. And some people say that, well, the, fi- you know, the people who saw Jesus, that was just a hallucination. I mean, they, they missed him so much that they imagined that they saw him again. But 500 people seeing him, talking to him, touching him, I mean, hallucination doesn't happen to many people at the same time. It just doesn't happen. They were convinced it was true. And so the historical facts were that Christians were willing to give their lives. And in spite of intense persecution, the church grew. And when there was a a severe epidemic that hit the city, it was Christians who stayed behind to care for the sick. Uh, The other pagans, they, they ran away. Why was it that Christians stayed back? Because death has lost its sting. Because they were convinced Jesus has been raised and so it means for them their sins are forgiven, death is no longer fearsome, death instead opens the door to an eternal reality with God. That's why they had no fear of death, they had no fear of lions, they had no fear of sickness. How else do you account for the growth of the church? I mean, look around you. After 2,000 years, the church keeps on growing. There is no other historically possible alternate explanation. 
No one has been able to come up with another way to explain the growth of the church in spite of that persecution. Only the historical raising of Jesus from the dead adequately accounts for the growth of the church, the presence of the church today. So, please don't leave here without thinking, considering the facts. Now, for those of us who are Christian, we've considered parts of 1 Corinthians 15, and you may know that in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 is is the purple passage. Paul gives such attention, such detail, so much we can learn from 1 Corinthians 15. The resurrection... He, he comes, he talks about it, he argues for it, he, he shows us in, in vivid colour the significance of the resurrection. And at the end of this great chapter on the resurrection, what does Paul say? He addresses brothers and sisters and he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore, if the resurrection of Jesus is true, if your resurrection is true, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. And by work of the Lord here, Paul is referring to to work in relation to spreading the gospel. Uh, the, The word work and labor is used four times in 1 Corinthians and each time it is connected with gospel work. Because the resurrection is true. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, because that guarantees your own forgiveness of sin, that guarantees your own resurrection from the dead, give yourselves always fully to the work of the Lord. Because you know. And why do we know? Why can we know? Because the resurrection of Jesus has happened. Because of the fact of His bodily resurrection, we know our resurrection is a reality Uh, We know, therefore, that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because sin and death and judgment will not have the final word. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He has given us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. May God help us.